Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is David Bickford. I'm the pastor here in the Salmon Arm area for the Potter's House Christian Church, and today I have a message entitled The Spirit of Action. The text we'll be working from today is going to be Titus 1, verses 5 through 8, if you're following along. There's a quote I found from Grant Cardone. His, uh, he's a, a business professional guy that I kind of follow. He's big into like real estate and different things. But he, he has a quote that he says, playing small is not a survival strategy. And what I kind of want to look at this morning in regards to this is that we, as, as a church, as the Christian body, we're not meant to be playing small. God does not play small. He drives us to have a larger and deeper faith every day. When you look at like stories like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and David, we see people who came from the bottom to rise to the top. The key distinguishing trait is that they all lived by a way that was, uh, they leaned on their, their faith in God, but also they moved with determination and purpose towards a godly future. Moses was saved and raised in the house of Pharaoh, but then found himself lost in the desert as a shepherd. This occupation was always associated with the lowest class of people in the Middle East, and God did not reach out to him when he was in the palace, but he only was reached out to by God when he was out in that field. Abraham left everything behind and went into a new and unknown land uh, as an act of faith. Joseph had amazing dreams, but when they were but they were only realized after he was sold into slavery and then went into prison. Then, of course, we find King David being forgotten even by his father, but not by God, and was called into service straight from the fields. He, too, was working as a shepherd. And so when you look at this, what, what do these men have in common other than their faith in God? They all believed that through God, anything was possible. Anything is possible. And more than that, though, they, they were willing to work to see the promises of God come to fruition. Now, they may have sometimes overstepped their boundaries, and we could, but we could see that they were blessed by God despite their shortcomings. Why were they blessed? Because they had a spirit of action. They were willing to put their hand to the plow and sweat and toil for the work of God. Joseph was prepared was prepared with unique skills, giftings, and anointings to get the job done. And when we look at any of these men, we see similar things that the, the hardness of their life was a was for a purpose to move the kingdom of God further forward. Albert Einstein said, there's no greater satisfaction for a just and well-meaning person than the knowledge that he devoted his best energies to the service of a good cause. So let's look at the our, our text really quick before we go too much further. In Titus 1, verse 5 through 8, it says, this is for the qualification of the elders. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I had directed you. 
If anyone is above reproach and the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So we want to have that as the backdrop for what we're talking about this morning. But we also want to remember that like in 1 John 4, 8, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So let's look at Taking the Higher Ground by Colonel Jeff O'Leary. Scripture tells us that God did not give us a spirit of fear, that a spirit of fear comes from the enemy of our souls, who rules his kingdom with an enslaving power that brings fear to those under his rule. I never understood that incredible difference between the two until I was on a mili on military business in the Mediterranean. I had been serving as a UN peacekeeper in the Middle East just prior to the Gulf War. Part of my ordinary duties was to cross between various countries that barely coexisted. To enter one particular Middle Eastern country, I had to cross two series of checkpoints. Much like the crossing of the old checkpoint Charlie in Berlin, that'd be like East Berlin and West Berlin, it was a very tense hour. A lot of questions were asked of me and my driver. My vehicle was searched. All my bags were pulled out for examination. Every time I had in my suitcase or every item I had in my suitcase was carefully examined every time. If they found something they considered improper, they could seize it. They could seize me or refuse me entry into their country. Because I had been warned in advance, I carefully packed my bag or my case to avoid a controversial items and ensure safe passage. Once past this initial screening, I was on my way, though, but not alone. After traveling several kilometers and turning several times, I noticed we were being followed which was a standard procedure entering the downtown area of their largest city. I saw a large gray building set on top of a hill, and my driver said it was a prison. I noticed it lacked a fence and asked why. Oh, my driver said matter-of-factly, when you go into prison in this country, you go to prison. If your sentence is 15 years, that's how long you spend in your cell. You do not come out for meals or exercise or anything else. I was still trying to comprehend this statement when we entered the main square, and I was shocked to see two corpses hanging there. My driver explained this reminds the population of the penalties for failing to follow the law. As we neared the apartment building where I would stay, I noticed a number of guards on the, on the building, on the buildings carrying automatic weapons. The driver informed me that when there were more than a dozen secret police organizations in the country to keep order. And when my driver said his goodbye, he added, be careful what you say and do in here. I expect the whole place is bugged. That highlighted for me in a way that I never understood before the difference between God's kingdom and Satan's. God rules with love. His love is infinite, never lasting. His desire to wrap us in his safe and loving arms well away from the kingdom of fear and the enemy who rules there. Satan is a liar, a deceiver who destroys, bringing pain and everything evil. While my experience was a wake-up call to the differences between the two, it pales in comparison with the kingdom of with with the true kingdom of fear. When I cross paths with people enslaved to fear and anger, I try to remember that their behavior reflects the ruler of that kingdom. I pray for the opportunity to share within the kingdom I live in. My king's law is love, enforced with love, and demonstrated in the sacrificial life of Jesus Christ. I can't think of another place 
I'd rather live. So as we read that, a little story, it's a true story from you know a colonel in the military. You know, we have to remember that our enemy in the world fights against our actions by way of fear. People don't fight against Christianity because, because they uh oftentimes because it, they don't understand it. They fight against us because of the fear they have either of their own sin or the fear that they might be wrong. But many things that they're fighting against is based off of the idea of fear because they do know. And I believe that most people do know this inherently that, that there is a God. And so they have to lash out against it because they don't want to be judged because our God is righteous and holy. But we're not called to have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of action. It's easy to say those words, but let's get real. It's hard to overcome fear. We all deal with fear in our lives. The world is against the word of God. It strives to paralyze us with fear. Fear of judgment, the mob, our failure, our success sometimes. Difficulties we might come across. You name it, we'll find a way to fear it. The Bible makes things very simple for us. It shows us the path forward is through the execution of God's will. In our text, we see Paul lay out for Titus the way to build the church, the qualification for those who will serve, the importance of doctrine and readiness. As we already read before, it says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Appoint elders into every town as I directed you. For if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent or greedy for, or, uh, for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So this brings me to my first point, which is qualified. Paul was concerned for the newborn church on Crete, and he wrote to Titus to encourage him and instruct him on how he should go about building this church. He tells Titus to look for those who meet the qualifications. Now, this isn't people to get saved. I want to I want to emphasize that point. You know, we get saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is not a qualification that's necessary for salvation. That is simply acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as your Savior and repentance of sin and accepting of him as your Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. But in the building of a church, we do want to have qualifications. We need to have qualifications for those who serve in leadership. In Titus 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. Now, if you're not familiar, the circumcision party, those are the people who wanted to go back to the Jewish law, and they wanted to apply Jewish law onto the Gentile believers, even down to the, the enforcement of circumcision. So there are two points to look at here. The first is the standards that are important. How you live is an example that you set. The second point is that it would be a test for Titus. It is not easy to silence those who oppose you, and it's even more difficult to hold standards in a world that does not even believe in truth. Today, we, we deal with this quite a bit with our, 
our world believing in relative truth and truth as I see it. And everybody gets to have a different truth unless your truth doesn't align with their truth. Then you're supposed to what? Conform to the world's view of truth as it ever changes every day. Both of these points show how important it is for us to live with a spirit of action. Our lives must always be pointed towards the end goal, the destination that is heaven. We're not on a conveyor belt or an escalator to heaven. We are on the base of the mountain, and we must endeavor to climb to new heights in our salvation. Something that's really interesting is that, you know, in, in, in Jewish tradition, the way that they view work or they, the salvation is you do all these works to eventually believe and love God. Whereas as Christians, we believe that as you, you by faith, believe in God, he is going to sanctify you through a process that you're going to be saved immediately, but because you're saved, you're going to have fruit. So it is not faith plus works or that equals salvation, but rather it is faith equals salvation. And then works comes with it because you desire to move the kingdom forward. In James 2.26, it says, for the body apart from the spirit is dead. So also faith apart from works is dead. So this is the whole point that as you come to Christ, as you are set free from the bondage of sin, as you have received great salvation through grace, there, there is a natural desire to want to do something for God. The crux of the idea is that your faith will bring you yourself or will bring you salvation and the desire to serve others in Christ. The fruit that comes from those works will show you as qualified for greater service in the kingdom of God. This is not where we end, though. That this is only the beginning. We need to now turn to doctrine because this is how you will be able to serve, edify, and build up the church with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So doctrine, this ter- there's a term in the business world, and it's it's used generally in a lot of places now with organizations, but there's a term called mission creep or mission drift in the military. There's a book named Mission Drift that touches on this quite a bit in, in a more direct way uh, regarding you know, Christianity and Christian organizations. It's a very great book. I, I, I do recommend it. It's a good book. But this idea is the the gradual or incremental expansion or intervention from a project or a mission, right? Beyond its original scope, focus, or goals, the ratcheting effect that's spawned by initial success. So as you, you start a program, you, you started with a very clearly focused objective, but as you kind of get rolling, you're like, but hey, now we can do these things. And hey, now we can do these things. And maybe we should do less of this thing and more of that thing. That would be mission creep. Mission creep is usually considered undesirable due to how each success breeds more ambitious interventions until a final failure happens, stopping the intervention entirely. So what happens in like a lot of situations a lot of like organizations is they they overreach beyond their original goal to the point where they they've overextended themselves to and they fail and now they're unable to even complete the initial mission the term was originally applied exclusively to military operations but as i mentioned it's now been applied to many different fields which itself is an example of mission creep 
The phrase first appeared in 1993 in an article published in the Washington Post and the New York Times concerning the United Nations peacekeeping mission in the Somali, the Somali Civil War. In regards to the church, like I mentioned, there's a book written about this topic. Right, and here's a here's the synopsis of that book. Too often, as Christian organizations grow, the gospel often becomes cursory, expendable, or even forgotten. Again and again, leaders have watched their ministries, businesses, nonprofits uh, professionalized, expand, and lose sight of their original goals. Even churches can stray from their calling. So we're called. So we are called to do what as Christians. And the church. Let's look at the rest of Titus for chapter one to see. Titus 1, verses 19 through 14, he must firm hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. We've read this, but we he also to rebuke those who contradict it. So this is that's just verse nine. As we look at that, you have to be trustworthy. And you have to be willing to hold firm to the to the gospel, the doctrines of the gospel. But why do you have to hold firm? Why do you have to be trustworthy? It's so that you can give instruction. It's so that you can, with a firm grasp and understanding, rebuke those who contradict the word of God. So we, we as we follow on in verse 10, it says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. These are warnings that even in, in this time, there are people who are going to be stubborn or insubordinate on purpose. There are going to be people who talk emptily, you know, just vapidly talking, or even those who specifically try to deceive the body of Christ. So in verse 11, say they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. So this is a key point because I'm sure, you know, I, I've known people with, where that have said this, and I'm sure you have too. People who said, oh, I stopped going to church. It's full of hypocrites. I stopped going to church because they're too judgmental. And we all are at risk of, of those things. But this is why we need to be, you know, wise in the way that we deal with people. And why as a, a leader, you have to sometimes, you have to silence those that are upsetting families of the church. Because we have to lead by grace. We have to lead by proper instruction, sound doctrine. So in verse 12, it says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. This highlights the importance of holding true to the teachings of Christ and emulating him in our life. We must be careful not to add to the scriptures or take away from it. Too often mission drift or creep can take us away from our purpose. Here is the church. We're all called to preach to the lost, to go out to the highways and byways, and search for those whom are lost. We are called to bring the message of redemption to all. To disciple men who will carry out the word of God farther and farther and replicate according to the pattern laid out in the New Testament. We can see this message exemplified as we move into chapter 2 of Titus. Chapter 2 teach of Titus is, is about teaching sound doctrine. 
In verse one, it says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and instead fat fastness. I like that though, right? Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Verse 3 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, this is old, this is you know an old world thinking in some regards, but but it's still very, very true and valid. And it's almost this is gonna get me in trouble, I'm sure, but it's almost like don't be a Karen. Right? We all know that term, you know, and I apologize if your name's Karen, but there's that that meme out there online, and 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 this is kind of like an instruction, like you be pleasant. And this goes for men and women, because I've I've seen enough videos too of 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 men that are are very jerky in this way. But we need to be self-controlled, right? We need to do things with a loving spirit. In verse 6, it says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So there's there's a part here of this that we need to understand that we're supposed to lead upright lives so that we when people come to our churches when people interact with us they walk away maybe even in disagreement still but they're not going to say that person hates me. They should feel the love of Christ despite the fact that we might that they might disagree with our our belief in Jesus Christ that they might want to continue to go off and live in a life of sin but they don't leave the interaction thinking that person wants me to go to hell. Verse nine says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. And they are well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything, they may be adorned the doctrine of God, our savior. And verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to be redeemed from the lawlessness and to purify himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Right? So this is a powerful section of scripture, and I believe that you can, in a, in a plain reading of this text, you can take away that we're meant to be an example, but we're meant to be a loving example. And I want to emphasize that point. Sound doctrine is clearly where we need to stand, but we need to do it in a way that, again, even if there's disagreement, we're not snarky, we're not belligerent but they see that we're coming from a place of love. They can disagree with us, but they need to know that we love them just as Jesus loves them. So this brings me to my final point, which is be ready. The final chapter of the short epistle is all about being ready. It touches on mission drift as well, avoiding distractions from our purpose. 
All too often, we allow ourselves to get wrapped up into controversy or, dare I say, politics. But here in the scripture, it tells us to avoid these things and remain ready for our purpose. If we are not ready for action, then we cannot execute our mission. And Titus 3, 9 through 11, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. So here's an excerpt from a business article relating to strategy versus execution. It says, strategy is choice. Execution is action. How to take the right execution actions. If strategy is about making the right choices, then execution is about taking the right actions. Strategy focuses on thinking. Execution centers on the doing. And many leaders struggle with identifying the right action their organizations need to take. This is particularly because they have been taught how to plan and not how to execute. Achieving excellence in execution requires cultivating a bias towards action across the organization. I find the contrast between strategy and execution or action to be of the utmost interest in my life. In fact, I've spent my life academically, professionally, and personally trying to gain understanding of the need for execution above the need for a perfect strategy. Here at the Potter's House, we as Christians are very fortunate because we have a clear pattern and strategy laid out for us in the gospel. The book of Titus, as well as others, provides with provides us with the strategy. We need to be ready to execute on that strategy. As a part of our statement of faith as a fellowship, we believe in the pattern. Evangelism, gospel taken outside of the four walls is the absolute foundation of our church and obedience to Mark 16, 15, when he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We emphasize personal evangelism and a large variety of outreaches to share the gospel. We do this out of love for those that are lost in the world. And of course, evangelism brings us to the to the, the idea of conversion. The gospel has the power to save and transform lives. In 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then once, once someone is evangelized to and they accept, they convert to Jesus Christ, they come to salvation. We believe in the local church because God has placed everything necessary to accomplish his will in the setting of the local church. In Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be headed over by all, all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. God's will is the accomplished in it. And through us, we can we connect and commit ourselves to a local church. What's the purpose of the local church? The purpose of the local church is discipleship. Training and equipping is the setting of the local church. And therefore, the highest call of a pastor and congregation is to obey God's command of discipleship. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And when the, the church is strong, when the local body is strong, 
then what can you do as a believer to continue on with your evangelistic worth? And we believe in the pattern of church planting. The result of disciples being raised up is that they can be released into the harvest field themselves. Matthew 9, 37 to 38, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord and the, of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We send out couples to plant brand new congregations with the aim of seeing people enter into the kingdom of heaven. In Salmonar, we're a baby church plant out of the Chilliwack Church who comes out of our Prescott Church. So there's this continual belief that you build the church, that you send out others to build more churches. Almost as like little beachheads for the kingdom of God. Right, Little little beachheads or or forward deployed bases, if you will, of the kingdom of heaven, bringing, you know, the whole pattern full circle. Which brings me to like the last idea, which is world evangelism. For the earliest Bible record, God's vision was, is a worldwide testimony. And in a, a testimony with impact. The gospel message is relevant at every nation and every culture. And our job as believers in the local church is to pray, train, invest, send and support workers to go into all the world. You know, my mother church in, in Chilliwack sent out missionaries to Russia years and years ago in the 90s, right after the wall came down and everything. And now we have a robust, godly church in Russia that has sent out more works, more works from there. And the stream of those works now is in is in Cuba, as even in Egypt and even in Israel. From Russian works that came from the seed being sent from Chilliwack. These are the these are the miracles that come through the the following the pattern and executing on the strategy. With strategy and the pattern set, the only thing left is decide is to decide if you will be ready for action. We're called to be a people of action because there work, there is work to do. The fields are white for harvest, John 4, 35. So with that, every I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're driving, obviously, be safe. But if this message resonates with you and you want, and you're not saved, you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, but you, but this this message has hit you in some way. The, and I believe and I hope that there was clarity enough in this message to do so. But you want to signify that with an uplifted hand. I want to just quickly you know, you know, say a prayer that you can repeat. Because every time we preach, we want to have an invitation. That's the whole point of everything we're doing, is to give you an opportunity to, to have that relationship with Jesus Christ yourself. So if you're in that situation, if you rose your hand, obviously I can't see it, but God can. And if you meant that, you want that, then just repeat after me, dear Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. I repent of my sin and I accept Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that if you say that prayer and you mean it, you are saved, that your faith has now been put into action. And the next step, the next step is to now find that gospel believing Bible, you know, that Bible believing church and plant yourself in a church so that you can you can grow in your love for Jesus Christ. You can grow with understanding. You can grow through instruction. 
And then you can also too witness and testify and tell people about all the great and amazing things that are going to happen in your life through Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy or perfect, but it does mean that it's going to be better. And I truly believe that in Jesus' name. So with that, I'm going to close. I want to thank you for joining me again today. And I just want to pray, dear Lord God, I pray that you'd bless this message. That I pray that it would go far beyond the small room that I record these in. But it would touch you know people's hearts around the world for your purpose and your sake. That you would be able to connect with people and that they would turn to you in salvation and in faith that and receive salvation through grace in Jesus mighty name. I pray I give all the praise and glory to him in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you again. Have a great time. And I look forward to you coming back next time. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing. Join the conversation and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.